Welcome to a new episode of the Open Source System Podcast. Every two weeks, we talk about open source news and interesting open source projects. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Player FM, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, Pod Directory, and soon Google Play Podcasts. You can give us feedback and suggest open source projects as well. Uh, just visit github.com slash open source system podcast and create a new issue. I'm Vlad, and today we also got Kyle here. How are you, Kyle? I'm doing great. Thanks again for having me. Excellent. Uh, Mike is also here. Hello. And finally, Ricky is also here to talk about open source. Hello. Uh, what's new in your open source world, Ricky? What's new in my open source world? <laughs> <laughs> you always got to put people on the spot, Vlad. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Right. So let's get uh, to our open source projects. Uh, the first thing on the list that we have here is Command Car, Curl on Steroids. And Ricky, I believe you tried this project because it's 100% JavaScript, and you try all these things JavaScript. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I did not try this project actually. I was I was rolling with the assumption that you you would have Vlad. I was like, if somebody's gonna try it, it'll be Vlad. <laughs> right. So, well, yeah, Command Car. Um, it's a pretty small project, uh, but it's got already over 600 stars on GitHub, and uh, it's basically sort of optimizes the uh, curl. Uh, and uh, yeah, uses Node.js to uh, make it really easy to query APIs. Yeah, I when I saw this project and I saw curl on steroids, I got really excited because um, I like HTTP. It's pretty great. Um, and he also just, likes to get juiced. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no comment. Uh, but. It, this really seems, yeah, it's 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 tailored towards APIs, right? Like you have to have this thing called um, what, Swagger, right? Like it uses these API definitions called Swagger. Yeah. Which uh, I feel like if we say that one more time, Justin Bieber's gonna appear in this podcast. <laughs> so, so it's kind of like this this specification to lay out endpoints and other API junk. And then uh, this command car guy, you kind of like install these API endpoints uh, almost as if it were homebrew or something. You have to either point to a local file or URL, and then you can you can kind of make these these nice little calls to get junk from Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Um, yeah. So the goal of this project is to simplify these uh, unreadable, complicated curl commands with all the auth talk tokens and. Uh, all sorts of stuff, and uh, make it a single line. So in the first example that it, this thing provides is uh, command command car facebook.like, and you just give it a post ID as an argument and give you give an access token, and it does the rest. Magic. And you uh, you hit you hit your IPO a month later. And uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and proceed to the next project from there. Sweet. Uh, so yeah, it's a fairly new new project, but check it out uh, if you're uh, querying the Facebook API, Instagram API, or anything else uh, that supports the Swagger format, Swagger spec. Um, it'd be pretty interesting. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's you know API models, uh, which is a collection of uh, Swagger files. I mean that that on its own is pretty neat. Um, I mean if you're looking for like a, a one-stop place to support a ton of APIs, I mean. That's a pretty neat thing. I mean, this seems to like just like a, a really uh, a curl-like interface to um, to the API models, um, which is uh, is pretty sweet. But I mean, 
even if you're not uh, into running um, all these APIs through the command line and you're looking just for some cool, uh, um, a, a cool collection of Swagger stuff to uh, to collect to connect all the these APIs and uh, you know check that out too. Uh, the next project is MagSpoof, which is a uh, credit card MagStripe spoofer. Um, yeah. Uh, what's it written in here? I think it's written in Eagle. What the heck is Eagle? It is easily easy applicable graphical layout editor. I mean, you basically they just added words into that to make the acronym work. But <laughs> it's it's um it's basically like C to um to you know uh, Arduino uses it. Uh, yeah. I see. It was cool. created like uh, a long time ago for like DOS and OS2, um, and um, yeah, but Arduino uses it. Yeah, there's like 300 lines of C approximately, and then th some other crazy XML schema, Eagle junk. Yeah. And it's written in some uh, some cryptic language called PNG. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, that's just an image. <laughs> So this MagSpoof uh, project allows you to store all your credit cards and MagStripes in one device. Um, it works with traditional MagStripe readers wirelessly uh, using the whatever the MagStripe technology that uh, wirelessly lets you read the cards. And uh, can disable chip and pin, uh, can uh, do all sorts of stuff, emulate any magnetic stripe or credit card. And uh, yeah, there's plenty of uh, GIFs and uh, examples of, of uh, how you can use it. So I'm kind of wondering how well this would work with um, some more modern uh, card readers. I mean, it seems like it, it works really great. Because uh, he was saying, uh, the creator was saying that he used Coin. So Coin is that, you know, that one credit card. Like, for some reason, if, if somebody has, like, a ton of credit cards, they, they need one credit card to that can use all of those credit cards, you know, they can swipe all their credit cards. I don't know why you have that many credit cards that you would necessitate, uh, you know, that. But anyways, he was saying that it was only working that's, for him. That's, like, that's why you work where you work, Kyle. Yeah, it, it's true. Uh, maybe that's why. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he was saying that, that even that, you know, uh, that, that big venture, you know, that has so much money behind it, that was only working like 50% of the time for him. Mm -hmm. And so through his way, is he basically sends track one one way and then track two reversed to trick the card reader into thinking you're swiping back and forth. Um, and uh, so it only needs a single coil to generate that, you know, that magnetic signature. Um, and so he was able, he you know, according to him, he was saying that it was, it was working better than the coin. But what's really interesting about this is that a while back uh, I was working on uh, point-of-sale systems um, for, you know, iPads. You know, you just plug them in and, People can swipe cards and stuff. Through the headphone and, check? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then uh, they had, we had this one, it was, I think the brand was like MagTech was the brand. Um, but anyways, they were, like, the API was, like, extremely difficult to work with. It was just awful. Um, but the thing that they had was they would identify the physical card by examining the card's uh, uh, particulate or, like, the pattern of the particles that make up the magnetic strip. And so, like, you know, the first swipe of it, if there's nothing in their database, then they just assume that's the, the legit card. And then subsequent ones, they would uh, examine the particulate uh, pattern of the card swipe as it swiped through and to see whether it's actually the physical card. And they even to, like, adjust for, um, you know, like, compensate for the wear and tear on the car from being swiped. Uh, and so, like, I mean, 
it seems like that whole system was set up to block this tool. Um, so I'm kind of wondering, you know, like how how advanced is this tool? Like, can it even like spoof that? Can it spoof the particulate pattern, or you know, like how how crazy is this tool? Oh yeah. Uh, well, besides the tool, actually, the uh, the readme also provides a way how do you can build your own uh, and flash your own uh, device. Um, there are links to the um, Amazon to buy all these components that you need. Um, you need the microcontroller, a coil, some uh, some power. You, you you buy a battery for that, LEDs, and uh, there's also a schematic for the board. So you can just flash the firmware that's provided in the repo and go hacking. Pretty and I guess great. we should say we don't advertise. We no, don't use your own credit cards, of course. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the idea, right? It's, it's all for research. <laughs> also, uh, I, I mean, there's, there's, some, there's, like, some cool applications here, right? Because you could, you could, I mean, you could theoretically have, like, different layers of security, like, have an additional device where, you, like, you have to read your thumbprint or something, let's say, before it's active and all sorts of things like that, right? Like, somebody can, I mean... Yeah, would somebody just steal this little piece of hardware, knowing what it does? I, I think that's kind of like it's kind of interesting. Not great. Yeah, uh, he he goes on and says like you might use this if you were prototyping new credit card type hardware. So the only thing I was gonna say is there, there's actually no license for this code. So um, just be careful. <laughs> Is that what is that what you usually say when there's no license for? Yeah, just like I, I'm not a lawyer, but just like run. Run. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe or maybe maybe we just open that. an issue and say license. Yeah, yeah, add a license. Hold uh, on, let, let me let me file that issue right now. <laughs> oh, guess what? Number two issue is already about a license. Oh, son of a gun! Guys, anyway, beat someone, me. Someone beat you to it. <laughs> Dope. There's already a README there, so you can't create an issue for that. <laughs> well, I guess I just have to rewrite it in CoffeeScript. <laughs> well, anyway, this is a Max Booth created by Savvy Kamkar. Sorry about the pronouncing his name. Uh, yeah, and it's got uh, over 1,000 to almost 2,000 stars on GitHub already. Uh, a pretty small project, but very well documented and uh, lots of interesting screenshots. So, uh, yeah, if you're looking for a weekend project that uh, sort of outlines everything, you, all the all the components you need, um, and as Kyle mentioned, if you're interested in building some something to deal with credit cards, this is definitely something to check out. Could you build a skimmer from this? What's a skimmer? Like, that's like, like that's... To, to basically... That's I like mean, where you read. Kind of, yeah, he's kind of describing like what is involved in doing that. Um, but that's, that's, like technically, so, you could use this to. So this to part, this part doesn't have to be in a podcast because I guess that's like it's illegal, illegal stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like skimmers are like devices you'll put on an ATM machine and it'll read and store credentials yeah. and then yeah, it'll funnel exactly. them to the mafia. Usually, like, yeah, a layer that you would put on top of a credit card machine and then read credit card data and then, you know, store that somewhere for later use. Ah, uh, okay. For research. Oh, that got dark. Well, yeah. anyways. 
<laughs> Again, uh, we have to say that we all we don't advise you do anything evil with this. This is just for research purposes. <laughs> but it, but it is. I mean, it is a reversing. It's a reverse engineering project. Like that's kind of super cool. That's really neat stuff. Yeah. Don't do anything illegal. Just write code in Eagle. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and uh, fork fork at your own risk. See you in jail. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up, uh, Mike, uh, what's our next project? So the next one is uh, it's called Cache Browser, um, and that's that's apparently like a, a project name, Cache Browser. It's, it's like a university-run research thing by the University of... I totally forget. Um, <laughs> I, I think I went there. <laughs> Man, that, that mirrors my college experience. Um, <laughs> hold on. So it's uh, UMass Amherst, right? So sorry, UMass Amherst. These guys are super legit. But uh, it's it's a project designed to circumvent um, censorship. So similar to Tor Browser and, and various other privacy censorship-defeating projects. Um, but this one... Uh, it's it's kind of an interesting twist because instead of like using a proxy or or whatever whatever other mechanism to fetch this data, um, it will just go straight to um, a cache like Akamai or Edge or whatever else. Um, so that's kind of it. That's interesting, but it's also its limitation. Like you have to bootstrap a website, right? So you kind of have to tell it. Oh, CNN.com is hosted on Akamai. We can go over there and fetch, fetch all its assets. You can't just like surf Reddit on this thing. Um, but that's that's not really the primary use case, right? So if if you live in a country, for example, where various news organizations are blocked, you would be able to use this to get um, lolcats or whatever else is being censored. Um, yeah. You can find the project at cachebrowser.info. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're saying that this system is designed to help Internet users bypass Internet censorship. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, as Mike mentioned, a, to a bit of a different approach from Tor and uh, other VPN solutions. No proxies. It just uh, yeah, does some tricks with the CDN. Apparently you need to add a Chrome extension to get it to run, So it, but the Firefox plugin is coming soon. So that's cool. Nice. And it seems like more and more sites are, um, you know, hosting on CDNs. So it seems like it become more and more effective over time. Mm -hmm. they, I mean, there's a couple, few big examples that they have listed, right? Like their NBC, Bloomberg. I guess anything that uses like Akamai or one of these CDNs will, will work. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only way it will work. Yep. So this project is 100% Python. And uh, the license on this is MIT. So you can check it out and uh, sort of explore this different approach. The next thing is uh, Hospital Run, um, which is an offline-first Ember app for... Um, it's like an electronic health reporting um, app uh, primarily geared towards uh, developing areas that maybe um, cost is an issue to maintaining its IT. So um, I love this project. I think this project is amazing. Um, did you did you get it all fired up and running and stuff? Um, no, I haven't yet. I actually I actually installed it. It's um it's pretty straightforward. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, I added my cat as a patient. Oh, <laughs> nice. And I tried to prescribe my cat some medication, but I actually have to create an appointment before I can do that. So, <laughs> so I, I once had a job working for a company that developed electronic health reporting software. Um, and, I mean, like, the you know, let's just say the company is really good at burning through uh, venture capital. Um, and so, like, seeing this one was just uh, amazing because, I mean, I, 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 mean, I know it's, it's geared towards uh, uh, developing areas that maybe, you know, cost is an issue, but uh, I kind of want to see more open source take over um, the, you know, electronic health reporting um, um, space. Uh, because, I mean, the, the UI alone on this is way better than uh, the most other electronic health reporting systems. Oh, yeah, like, there's there's no reason why you couldn't be running this, like, in an established place. Like, it's yeah. it's pretty much got, like, most of the things that you would need. The nice thing about it, too, is if, there, if, you know, if you did have a custom need of some sort, you could probably just, you know, you could just patch it on to the existing application, right? Yeah, totally, and especially because it's an if it's an Ember app, you know, like a lot of people are, are familiar with that, and it's yeah. not some like custom made thing that somebody you know, you, you need some proprietary developers to jump in and stuff. It's all just open source and written in known technologies. You just get people jumping in on it. It's it's kind of cool to to look at the issues, because um, there's you know there's like the regular like do blah use this technology, but then there's cool stuff like. You know, I have a use case where I need an array of allergies to be associated with with a patient. So there's, it seems like there's like medical professionals in here saying like, this is my use case. Help mm -hmm. me, help me get it working. So it's kind of kind of neat to see. Yeah. So you can. Uh, there's a website that they have. It's hospitalron.io. Uh, they also provide a demo link. If you just go to hospitalron.io/demo, uh, there are several ways to log in from different roles and uh, check out the interface. Yeah, and if you're familiar with uh, with you know front end JavaScript and especially Ember, I mean, jump into it. There's a whole bunch of issues tagged with help wanted. This is just you know a fantastic project that um, I mean I I plan on contributing to as well. So yeah, so it's set up uh, using the Ember CLI workflow, and uh, it's 63% JavaScript, so and then the rest is HTML and CSS. And the license is GPL uh, on this project. Uh, we can find it on GitHub. And we'll have a link to it in our show notes. Uh, now, Ricky, do you want to talk about uh, anything uh, in terms of setting it up? Any interesting? Uh, I mean, it, honestly, the README pretty much covers everything. It's just uh, you need CouchDB, um, you know, npm install, uh, Bower install. Uh, so you need Bower. I didn't have Bower <laughs> running on my computer. So I actually had to do that. But um, other than that, pretty pretty straightforward. Excellent. They, you know, they even went the distance and have like a seed script to get the CacheDB stuff all set up with an admin user and all that stuff. So it's pretty, pretty cool. I guess, I guess, also just going back to like what Kyle was saying, like some of these issues that are on here, like one of them is set up SCSS linting via CI. So there's like, I don't know, I, I think there's like a couple really good like first, first time issues here. If you wanted to hit up that help wanted thing and commit to open source. Excellent. Okay, uh, let's uh, yeah. So that was Hospital Run, uh, and it's all uh, <clears throat> and it's got almost a thousand stars on GitHub. And uh, yeah, gr good project to um, start using Ember or maybe start uh, you know, contributing basic patches to it. Okay, so so the next one it's called 
Redox OS. Um, and it's, you know, someone was bored and decided to write an operating system in Rust. Um, this is kind of well, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. It's, it seems really cool um, and also really complex. Um, and they have a number of, of screenshots, and it looks like your basic Linux distro. So um, I guess, from what I understand, someone can jump in if they understood it more. Like, this is like a kernel bootstrapping Linux distributions. Am I wrong there? I think I'm totally wrong. Well, <laughs> uh, no, not really. So the Redox, I guess, it's a pure Rust operating system. They say uh, it's written mostly in Rust with a few x86 assembler files for the bootloader, because bootloaders are hard. And, uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, I got confused on, on all the build instructions. I was like, what's all this Linux stuff? And that's just how to, how to get it going. Yeah, it follows the well. The OS follows the Unix philosophy, uh, whatever the, that is, uh, <laughs> which, <laughs> which basically means many interfaces are accessible in the virtual file system, and uh, binary interfaces lightweight and portable. Text files are used for configuration. Um, yeah, straight away, what I liked about this project is um, is the the screenshots are in the README almost straight away. You could see there's some basic wallpaper support, which is really important in the OS. Heck yeah! It looks a lot like uh, like you know Raspbian or that Raspberry Pi kind of. It, it does. Yeah. I wonder if they they maybe took some of the the graphical assets from some of these open source projects and mm -hmm. used them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, currently the project is 63% Rust, 25% uh, C, 5% C++, and then the rest is uh, other stuff. Um, yeah, it looks like the project was started in September too. Yeah, it's fairly recent. Yeah, it it blows my mind. Like, people are awesome. Yeah, it's crazy yeah. to build an operating system. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, I mean, Rust is awesome. So, I mean, I, I think it's great. I mean, um, I'm curious on like, you know, if this is just like a pet project or if there's you know some some other um, bigger back behind it. You know, um, you know, what's what's the motivations behind this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you can find more about the project also on at redox-os.org. And, uh, yeah, they've been pushing updates uh, since October until the 12th of December. In some of the next things they're planning to do is uh, improve multi-threading in the OS, improve appearance and customizability, uh, and uh, they've got plenty of contributors. I think over a dozen contributors already. Um, which is pretty cool. And what's the license there? Ooh, let's check the license. MIT? Yeah. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> the license is MIT. Oh, <laughs> so close. So you can try building uh, building the OS on your machine. Uh, they've included a, pretty much any any sane uh, operating system on the list. OS X, Windows, Fedora, anything. Arch Linux, Debian, Ubuntu. It's a huge list, and they really want to make sure it builds on uh, whatever environment you use. And, uh, yeah, there's even a, a CI set up for Windows builds to make sure this works okay in Windows. I mean, this is just kind of like a testament to how cool of a programming language Rust is. Um, if, you know, somebody could build this and have it functioning this quickly. I mean, I don't know how long this person has uh, been working on this ahead of time or and, you know, previous kinds of, you know, things they had to it, but Rust hasn't been out that long. 
uh, as far as stables. So, um, you know, good job. Yeah. If you check out the, the, the contributing uh, markdown file, there's, there's a really nice section, how to contribute. And I like how I, I kind of want to model this or steal this from my own projects. Like, it's got low-hanging fruit, right? Like, it's like, if you don't know Rust, please help us with tests, docs, web development. Um, if you know some Rust, but you're not an OS hacker, you help us with these types of projects. And if you are insane and happen to know Rust and operating <laughs> systems, like, help us out. So it, it kind of splits it up based on your skill level. So if this sounds really interesting to you, but you're like, ah, I don't know Rust, um, maybe starting with some unit tests is a good way to kind of just absorb some of that knowledge. Um, even if it's copying and pasting and tweaking certain things, you'll, you'll pick up some good stuff. Definitely, yeah. That's a really good uh, contributing MD file. We'll walk you th right through uh, a way to create the pull request to the OS. So um, if you, uh, no, if you're a student in an operating systems class and you don't know Git or something, but you really want to contribute to this operating system or any, or any parts of this project, uh, this is really a really good start. So, uh, yeah, that's redox-os uh, slash redox on GitHub, and we'll have a link to it in our show notes. Uh, the next project is Hugo, a fast and flexible static site general generator built with love. Uh, it's a, was it 100%? 99.8% Golang. Nice. <laughs> cool. You can uh, find the project at gohugo.io. And it's a pretty fancy website. I guess the other 0.2% is love. <laughs> well, that's not a lot of love in this project. <laughs> um, has anybody actually tried using this? I mean, I, I actually just, like, installed the binary and, like, was reading through it, but I haven't actually tried to, like, scaffold out a site or anything with it. No, it, but it looks it looks interesting. Like, it just you just use Markdown and, I guess, some, some config junk. And... The reason why it sounds cool to me is it says it's like blazing fast. It it makes this claim that it's uh, one millisecond per content um, piece of content. I don't know how you define piece of yeah, content. Yeah, yeah. What does that <laughs> like? Well, I, I mean, assuming like a single markdown file, like a single item to be parsed, or yeah, possibly. I don't know, but uh, like I I have a blog. Um, Super popular. You probably all <laughs> read it. Um, and I'm using uh, Jekyll, that Ruby thing. And so right now there's probably, I don't know, 50 or 60 articles. And, and to regenerate it, it takes five or six seconds. Like That's given, way too long, man. That's like, I, I know. I blog like once every other month, and that's just that's really holding me back. Um, <laughs> but for funsies, it might be cool to, to see how, how quick it would be to, to plug this in and rock and roll. Yeah, so very quick to get started. Uh, you don't even have to go looking for like uh, installing Go or anything. You just, on OS 10 at least, you just go brew install Hugo and uh, find a directory for your next project. Just type in Hugo new site and provide a path where you want to put that site and uh, you got, uh, it will scaffold the thing for you where you, you can later just run Hugo and it will compile the, uh, compile the site. And uh, if you don't, I guess you just have several documents. It's super fast. So uh, I guess with bare bones example, it compiles in eight milliseconds. So um, 
pretty pretty quick. Yeah, it supports a bunch of different formats too. I mean, everybody's going to be using Markdown, um, but there's some people out there that might use like restructured text um, and and things like that. Um, and then also like the in order to configure each of the pages, um, you know, like the title and uh, information, keywords about the the page and things, it uses uh, Front Matter. Uh, which you can also configure either in JSON or Toml or YAML. I'm sure everybody's just going to do Markdown in YAML. So. Oh yeah, so you can define sections, types, or different ordering, and uh, after you wrote all your documents, uh, you can uh, look at the different templates for uh, for the site. Uh, you know, switching up uh, switching up the CSS, uh, different uh, home pages, uh, listing content in different ways. And uh, also, it's got plenty of documentation uh, that will help you set up a custom 404 page, or assess sitemap, and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, it's got a ton of themes, too, um, already there available, too. So you can just kind of plug in content and use an existing theme and have your static site ready to to, to deploy. So. It looks like it pretty much has like everything that you would need to integrate a Discus, Google Analytics, RSS, syntax highlighting via pigments. Yeah, it looks like it's all, it's all there. Sounds sounds like a website. Sounds sounds like a yeah. Sounds like a are, technical website. Are, are each of your websites? I know I know Vlad uses uh, WordPress for everything, so we won't ask him. But uh, what what do you all use? I mean, you use Jekyll, so everybody. I mean, yeah, I use. Just, a, I'm actually I'm actually using Harp right now, which is a oh cool JS uh, static site generator. I think it's the same dudes that did like Surge SH or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Um, the, I, I might port it to something else. <laughs> Can we also say that WordPress is awesome? Yeah, of course. Yeah. What's wrong with WordPress? Uh, I didn't yeah, why actually... Would, why would you even... <laughs> I, di- I didn't mean it, but... Um... No, I'm just kidding. WordPress is great. Uh... Someone save me quick. <laughs> yeah, check out the, check out the last episode um, where we discuss WordPress. I hope it was the last episode and not two episodes ago. But we discussed how awesome WordPress was, uh, and so... Yeah, it's a great great open source project. Like, uh, I mean, it powers, like, what, like 25% of the web or maybe <laughs> yeah. more? Like, it's, it's, it's impressive. Um, well, in this case, I guess, if, you, if you're a fan of uh, writing up several, like, markdown, markdown documents, you don't need the whole MySQL, whatever database set up with WordPress, this mm-hmm. one... Hugo should provide a, a fast, fast and flexible uh, way of uh, getting your static site uh, going. Yeah, I mean, like, what's faster than just uh, putting files on a server and then people say, give me this file, and they say, here's this file. That's, uh, that's about as fast as it gets. It's pretty fast. You know what's faster than doing that? Pretty technical right there. Not having a blog. <laughs> yeah, just, just don't have a website at all. Um. Right. Well, it, Hugo itself, <laughs> going back to this project, yeah, it seems like a really healthy open source project. It's been around for a while. It's got 242 contributors um, and uh, plenty of pull requests and issues. Very, very good documentation, too, from the looks of it. Yeah, very good docs, very good structure. Um, I'm just happy that it's, it's just a fa- really quick way. You don't have to, like, go crazy with npm install and wait uh, 20 minutes uh or no, to compile your static files. This thing seems to be really fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Node's cool too, right? 
No, it is cool too. Just like WordPress. That's uh, okay. Yes. All right. <laughs> um, but I think that, yeah, we need more and better st static side generators because um, usually what happens to them? People build the project and then kind of forget about it and becomes. Well, yeah, slow. I mean that's that's kind of why I switched from like I I switched my site from DocPad to Harp. And I'll probably be switching from maybe harp to this for the for those for those exact reasons, right? Eventually, uh, you know, it's just kind of a pain to manage dependencies and all. Until you write your own framework, huh, to to do it. Yeah, exactly. Until, until I make my own my own perfect solution. Coming up on our next episode. Ricky codes static side generator, right? <laughs> we'll call it Ricky's beard. The beard.io. Beard.io. Dig it. It's pro that's probably. <laughs> a I bet that's a URL. It's probably an open source project already. Yeah, probably. Nice. <clears throat> Alright. Next up, Mike, I believe you added this CSS project to our list. Oh, busted. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. So I saw this on, on Twitter. Um, Yuna. She's a developer based in Austin, um, and Yuna Kravitz, she does a lot of JavaScript, CSS front-end type stuff, and she's got this kind of collection of CSS filters. Um, I guess you could call them like recipes, uh, and if you wanted to reproduce some of the effects from Instagram and, and other types of uh, apps that do kind of Photoshop-like filters, you can do this in CSS. And it's, so the CSS support's pretty decent for everything except for IE, which shouldn't be surprising. Um, I think the latest news is Edge is considering uh, implementing CSS filters, so that probably means they're probably already working on it. Um, yeah, and there's, there's like 20 or so available filters, and one of the, one of the kind of neat things is if you... Like if if you're in the the README, if you go down to the bottom, there's this there's this section for contributing. It's like, hey, here's a list of filters uh, that we need help creating. And if you check out the pull request, there's there's maybe like ten or so that people have created. And so you can kind of just see like how people are doing this. And it's just a combination of like CSS filters, linear gradients, etc. Um, just kind of cool. Well, it's 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 really nice to see this long list there. Um, back in my day, we only had five filters. <laughs> um, <laughs> it seems like they finally you know added more and more to Instagram. So it's all about the sepia tone. Yeah, I mean they have such cool names too, like Vesper and Dog Patch. So um, <laughs> I I like uh, more of a Skyfi names, the Lofi X Pro Two, 1977. Yeah, underscore 1977 is pretty hot. Toaster. <laughs> <laughs> Just read them all off, you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, Toaster is like <laughs> weird sci-fi, right? Yeah, so you can find uh, a demo of the project and uh, even provide your own custom image to try it out with at yuna.im slash cssgram. Yeah, and it's pretty easy to uh, to set it up to yourself. I mean, you basically just throw an image tag inside a figure and uh, give it the figure tag a class um, of the filter you want, and it applies it to the image. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty nice. 
Um, I have to say, if you're on Yuna's website in Firefox and you scroll down, like it's super janky. It's, and... Yeah, I mean, it's just because there's so many. Oh well, yeah, it's, super, it's it's pretty nice in Chrome. So I need to open a bug because that's some pretty poor. Yeah, I, was, I have was... no idea if that's even like patchable. Like I would just say use it sparingly because <laughs> that stuff is just slow as heck, generally speaking, right? Yeah, yeah. Is there is there a noticeable difference between? I mean, I, I'm running it in. Firefox Developer Edition. It's pretty slow. Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah, it's. It's definitely something the Firefox developers should fix. In case you do maybe like put this stuff on Instagram, then suddenly the whole world is gonna hate you. So. Yeah, uh, I guess a word of warning there. Uh, use this carefully because there's a lot of filters going on in Chrome. It's pretty good, smooth scrolling, but still, in some cases, if you have a large image, it might. Uh, Slow you down. And Paul Irish will come after you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the second thing I wanted to ask Ricky, what would you do if you had IE users who wanted this Instagram feature? Oh, boy. Good question. Uh, Might as well not show uh, them the widget. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I guess you would just get nothing, right? Uh, I mean, has anybody... Well, you would get you would get the regular image. It just wouldn't have the, cool uh, the, the fancy filter on top. So it's, you know, I guess you could call it graceful degradation or progressive enhancement. I don't know what that's called. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you're, you're still going to get... One of those. One of those. One of those things. Yeah, you're going to get some super hip image of Brooklyn, New York, um, or whatever. I think that's actually Austin, Texas. Who knows? I'm looking at the website here. Yeah, I mean, I imagine if you're going to have, like, a ton of images that you want certain filters applied, you would do them on the server side and, you know, and and cache those images. Um, uh, you know, I think what's cool about this is it's, it's like, a, a, good, um, a good layer for if you're going to develop, like, interactive kind of things. You know, maybe your mouse is going over certain parts of the image or something, and you want you want to apply these kind of filters and stuff. Um, so, I mean, I think as far as just like throwing a bunch of filters, you know, you have a ton of images on your blog, and you just want to throw a bunch of filters on them. It, that's not really practical. Uh, you know, maybe from the client side perspective of things. I mean, maybe someday, when, you know, as soon as Firefox catches up, right? But um, <laughs> like, you know, uh, I think I think if somebody's going to apply these, they would do it on the server side. Uh, uh, but you know, th this just leads to some like cool interactive stuff you can do later, um, and it's, it's great to have like these kind of filters and stuff available to us. Mm -hmm. But going back to the server side rendering thing, I mean, you could just like you could just write like a Phantom JS script to like do something like this, right? Right. Yeah. Or, or an Electron um, thing just, too. Yeah. That would yeah, be cool. That runs something that you just drag and drop locally and spits yeah. out the images. I mean, like, image magic is pretty optimized for this. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. I, don't, I mean, I, I guess if, if there's, like, a specific difference, then one might be better than the other. But a lot of these filters are available, um, you know, already and all the different kinds of things. So Yeah, so, but anyway, that's a good, good CSS project and uh, very inspiring for CSS developers in particular, I would think. Yeah, and, and I mean, if you're really into CSS, then you should definitely be uh, following Yuna. Um, she's she's really an amazing speaker, and and you know all about the CSS. So uh, next thing, talking about cats, Ricky, you had to throw out your cat 
out of the room <laughs> on this podcast. Um, and... she's she's still doing her thing. She's eating some cat food over there now. What's our picture. what's our next project, Ricky? Related to uh, cats um, or dogs so or humans or humans? Yeah. Uh, so the next project is called Robo Kitty. So Robo Kitty is a do do yourself cat, dog or human, as a, as I mentioned, uh, feeder. Um, and she basically outlines all the parts and stuff that you need to buy to build this uh, piece of hardware, and it's just an automated cat feeder. So if you know you wanted to go on vacation and neglect your cats <laughs> <laughs> by leaving them at home, or maybe you don't want to take your kids with you on vacation or something, <laughs> set one of these up, and uh, <laughs> there you go. They just feed themselves. So what is this photon particle thing, Kyle? Uh, it's basically a Wi-Fi dev kit for prototyping an Internet of Things thing. Whoa. So, like, if you want to... I mean, it's, it's pretty small. It's like this little board, you know. And uh, so, like, you know, you want to make it a, an umbrella that can notify you the weather, you know, by screaming at you when you pick it up or something. I don't know. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's like a little tiny board that uh, you can program and, and, uh, and do kinds of cool things, and it connects to the, the web and, um, you know, straight out of the box. So pretty nice. Yeah, so there's some uh, cloud login that uh, is required to get this thing running, but once you have your device set up, uh, you can also hook it up with the Arduino board and uh, all sorts of stuff, and the battery. And uh, it uses Node for the rest of it, for the, all the programming things. Um, several uh, sort of standard Node dependencies, Happy, uh, Johnny5, Socket.io, uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, even has some tests to make sure the feeder is working correctly. <laughs> you definitely want that. I mean, you know, you leave your cat and you're sitting there watching on your video and just hitting the feed button, feed button, and it's not feeding. It would drive you insane. Oh, yeah. So um, I'm totally going to modify this, though, um, to feed my fish um, <laughs> because that's definitely been a problem. Um, you know, it's like feeding fish is a very simple thing. Uh, you know, it's even simpler than feeding cats. So... Um, Definitely gonna modify this to feed my fish. So you're gonna dump like eight ounces of kibble into the yeah yeah old fish bowl. <laughs> exactly. File a bug. Put the put the one right on top of it. Yeah. Fish died. <laughs> yeah, this is I like. Uh, there's in in the readme. There's this. Uh, it looks like it would cost you about a hundred bucks to follow Rachel's instructions here. Mm-hmm. So uh, not terribly expensive. But you you probably learn a ton of stuff. Uh, the the one part that I would f- totally fail at is it talks about how you have to solder like a double A battery pack to a thing, and <laughs> I would probably try to solder the battery, and then it would catch on fire. Um, yeah, I've 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 never really done hardware projects, so I'm I'm really impressed when anybody pulls this off. You can also combine the two projects that we talked about, I guess. The credit card reader <laughs> oh, yeah, nice. yeah. to make a cat pay for its food <laughs> and just be a freeloader. So yeah, so it's like you know, like in prison, you know, they can they can purchase their kibble or whatever it's called from the commissary based on the chores that they do. Um Speaking of dy- <laughs> dystopian realities. 
out of out of all the examples. Oh my god, Vlad! They're just killing me, man. They just killed me. Totally, you could totally do it. Like set something like a little piece, like a little thing hanging off its collar or something. And... <laughs> well, I actually Some, Mike, Mike, do you have any cats? <laughs> Sorry, what was that? Do you do you own any cats? Oh, Mike, no. Mike doesn't have any pets. Have any pets. Just, just kids. he's got kids. He's got kids. Yeah. <laughs> They're kind of like pets, right? <laughs> used, are we talking about cats in prison or something? I'm not. I'm not sure how I got there, but that's that's, that's where my brain took me. So, um, yeah, the majority of this is JavaScript, right? Yeah. There's, there's... Uh, Node, JS, and Johnny Five, and uh, plenty of interesting. Uh, and the license is uh, GPL. Whoa! I'm surprised. I'm, you know, surprised. But I, I, I thought it was gonna be MIT. Yeah, I mean, it seems like most people just kind of pick MIT and. Roll with it, right? Isn't isn't it like the first option when you're like like doing node stuff? Like if you do npm init, I think it's like the first one. Yeah, yeah, it defaults to it. Yeah. So cool. she she went out of her way to to. Yeah, she paged up or down at least a couple times. Or something. <laughs> Rachel wants to keep the cat feeders free, which is totally respectable. <laughs> well, it's got uh, 600 stars on GitHub, and uh, we'll have a link to RoboKitty. In our show notes. Um, so the next project, maybe the last project, is uh, this this repo called Hawa or Hands On Web Audio. Not sure that's actually pronounced, but uh, this is from Soleilad or just Sole who on GitHub. And I actually saw her give a, a lightning talk last week on this repo, and it kind of blew my mind. So this is. All this is is it's a slide deck of so it's she gave a talk at some conference and on web audio and so she thought okay let's let's just use the tech to to teach this and it's it's a pretty wild it's like a a 3D uh, WebGL universe you could say um, and she wrote her own kind of custom text renderer um, and. It's got lots of really interesting just kind of art and web audio sounds and music. Um, so it's, I, it's I think um, somebody else actually wrote the text, the text component. Okay, cool. So she, she included the yeah, text component? She included a bunch of like, I think she just kind of found other 3JS things and, and used them. And the type is definitely one of those things. And uh, it's, yeah, it's just super rad to, to, to explore. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty impressive. I mean, there's basically a demo for conceivably like anything you'd want to do with this API in the slide deck. Yeah, so just uh, when you get to the hands-on web audio repo, make sure you click on the watch online um, to view the slides, and that's uh, that's what will get you into the in this hands-on on web audio talk, and you can uh, use arrows to navigate through it and listen to different things and learn more about web audio. Yeah, I mean, that's, like, a great thing because, uh, I mean, web audio can be really frustrating at sometimes, And so, like, I thought this presentation was just fantastic with going over all the, all the you know, details of, of web audio. And it'd be, uh, if you're just new getting into web audio, this is, like, kind of like a must-watch uh, uh, presentation. Um, it, it goes over everything, so it's pretty great. I've, I've never actually tried to use web audio because it 
I don't know. I'm, I'm not like an audio person. Like I've, 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 that's just not intuitive to me, and the API seems a little daunting. So this is cool to just have these really cool examples that are just fun to look at and play with. Um, and then maybe if I ever need to come up with a uh, what's what's that sound when you watch a movie and, you're, and that it plays that kind of crazy sound you're like a THX intro yeah yeah the THX intro I think this, that's, this has got it yeah like slide one or two <laughs> is the THX intro yeah. And so, yeah. yeah if I need that I know where to look <laughs> well that's all the projects that we have uh, for this episode but we also got some new <clears throat> but we also got some open source news and the first thing on the list is PHP 7 is released, ready oh, yeah. for consumption. Uh, now, what's new? What? Who's following the PHP scene? I'm sort of. I mean, I, I don't actively use PHP um, anymore since PHP 5, um, like 5.3 or 5.4. I think it was like the last uh, steel version that I was really active on, but I kind of like chime in here and there just because, you know, and I, I think what's really interesting is that the more and more I see where JavaScript is going and the more and more I see where PHP is going, they kind of like, the syntax is getting like really similar. So like one of the things added in this uh, release was um, uh, closure call. So if you're familiar with JavaScript and you need to call um, a, a, a function with um, a, a specific context, you would use call on a function. Uh, well, this now implements that as well. Um, before, you used to have to like bind to it, and and then call it, and to have that context. And now you can just call um, call um, with the context uh, provided. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of like, uh, and then also too, they they've added some um, other kinds of uh, uh, more typing things, type declaration kind of things. So yes. like you can now specify return. Yeah. Types. So you got a return type declaration, and also the function. Um, Type declaration, so you got uh, you define your function that takes an array. You just say mention the word uh, include the array uh, to um, set the type, and also uh, int if when uh, you're returning something from that function. And uh, yeah, that will uh, make sure uh, to set a declaration, uh, the type declaration on your function. One other thing that they did, they had they added this spaceship operator. Yes, that's a, isn't that the most awesome name? For an operator, it's it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's a pretty great name. So a spaceship operator is used for comparing two expressions. It returns minus one, zero, or one uh, when a is either less than, equal to, or greater than b. Um, do you think this is a useful thing to add to language? No, but it's an awesome operator. <laughs> <laughs> it's. I mean, I'm I'm sure it's useful when you're doing stuff. I don't know. I haven't learned enough to know. I, I just wanted to, to say, so there's there's also like some, some drama around PHP 7. Whoa. Yeah, Whoa. hot we, drama. We might we'll cut, have to cut out the drama depending on the drama level, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of more interesting. Like, I'm not part of the PHP community, so for me, I'm just kind of like, oh, that's that's an interesting fact, and I'm sure a lot of, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into this, but so PHP 7, the last released version of PHP is like PHP 5.6 or 7 or something. They actually skipped version 6. They they started to write that like five or six years ago, 
and then it just kind of didn't work out. I think they, from what I was reading, they had a lot of problems with Unicode support, um, etc. And it kind of reminds me of like the Python two to three tension, where a lot of people are stuck on two. Um, so a lot of the features they wrote into PHP six, they backported to five x, um, and then they said, "Let's try it again." And then they just they got it right, apparently, and just named it seven. So a little bit of Python, a little bit of Windows 10 type marketing stuff. So <laughs> kind of neat. So good job to the PHP community. Yeah. So they have a they have a good article that def, uh, helps you migrate from old PHP to PHP 7. And there's a new features article that will mention all the all the cool new features in this release. Yeah. Like one thing I didn't know that PHP had uh, is generators. Um, and they're just like JavaScript. It's, uh, I mean, nobody nobody needs generators in JavaScript either. But it's <laughs> it's it's really interesting. Like the more and more I look at uh, PHP seven release, the more I go like, whoa, this is just like this almost seems like TypeScript. You know, it's just it's the the languages. You know, maybe maybe in uh, ten or twenty years they'll they'll, they'll converge, right? I know now I'm gonna get kicked off the show for saying such thing, but. <laughs> um, but it's just really interesting on on the similarities uh, and the, the similar things being implemented on, in both languages. Next up uh, on the news, we've got Angular 2 beta is out uh, for testing. And uh, yeah, there's uh, there's mostly be, mostly a release for developers to outline how you can uh, sort of what's new in this release and uh, what's new in Angular 2, and uh, also provide an up upgrade path from Angular 1 through uh, several means of uh, uh, sort of different uh, different modules. Um, I know Angular 2 uses what native script, and uh, there's already a few examples of Angular 2. Um, I think uh, one of the uh, Google Fiber sites uses Angular 2 uh, for its uh, to uh, to show uh, the fiberhood map and uh, all sorts of stuff. It's it, they they've yeah like you were saying they have like the, these upgrade strategies and it's one of them is kind of interesting where you can I guess you include Angular 2 in your Angular 1 app and slowly port them over, which which sounds kind of wild. Um, Reminds me of jQuery no conflict a bit, but um. yeah. So hopefully, I mean, people do actually make the transition and ditch Angular one rather than like, oh, we need the the ones, you know, we need the spaceship operator that Angular Ang spaceship. So let's drop an Angular two and and have our spaceship widget. But I mean, web developers never do that, so. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's it seems like people online and in the community are super stoked, and Google's obviously well, not just Google, but the community's been doing tons of work on this rewrite. So. Yep, and uh, yeah, so the next thing for Angular 2, uh, they're still working on it. Plenty of issues. Uh, next thing, uh, Elton and support, uh, reducing the size of the library and support for animations, things like that. So once Angular 2 comes out, we'll uh, make sure to do uh, talk about it then uh, in the news section again. But uh, we'll have links to all the news and projects we talk about in the show notes. Kyle, I believe you added the next item to our list. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a repo, which is just basically a um, a, a markdown document. Um, it just it, it just warns people to not underestimate uh, credentials leaks. Um, so you know, leaking credentials is is bad. Uh, I mean, uh, like you know, when you accidentally just like commit. Uh, some token uh, into your repo or accidentally publish your password to NPM. Um, and you may think that's like really uh, a dumb thing to do and like, you know, I didn't totally, you know, I wouldn't do anything that dumb ever. Um, well, this person uh, has exposed some very popular projects of that are maintained by very not dumb people um, that uh, that have done just that, uh, that expose their, their own uh, credentials in their... Um, in their repo history or their npm published thing, and so it, it's just a great, um, a great article. Uh, it, you know, it's not it's not um, trashing any project or trashing anybody, but it kind of just like gives you an example of what this person did to to find out uh, the credentials in, in these projects and um, how you uh, can search your own projects to avoid this um, from happening. Yeah. So the uh, some of the results uh, from the from this uh, research, uh, he was able to obtain uh, access in some sort of way to either uh, on npm or GitHub to some of the popular Node projects such as Express, uh, uh, Bower, and uh, f funny enough, npm itself on yeah, GitHub. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's pretty scary. I've been waiting for this article for a while now. It's just uh, the state of the security. Uh, of the uh, some of the node modules and some of the tokens around there is look pretty sketchy. So finally, somebody took their time and researched this all and uh, kind of hacked around a bit with this and just stole a bunch of leaks. Yeah, totally. Um, and there's actually another great project on npm called uh, publish dash dash please. Um, and so if you're if you're going to publish, you know, to to npm, um, what this does is it 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 does a bunch of automated tests. Uh, to check out, you know, make sure, you know, everything's good to, to publish it. And one of the things it does is it checks for sensitive info. Uh, so um, it's, it's kind of a, a neat little tool to add to your, um, add to your, uh, your CLI tools uh, is it's publish dash please. That sounds great. I'm a little, I was, I was having a meeting with a fellow collaborator on a project and like right now, I'm the only person who does deploys because I'm just terrified of sharing credentials. And like, there's obviously good solutions for that. And one of the suggestions was, hey, let's just make a private repo and store that junk in there. But <laughs> even then, I'm terrified. It's like, what if we accidentally make it public? And you know, well, we're gonna move to SSH keys and be grown-ups about it. But it's scary stuff. Totally. Yeah, I mean, this this is definitely like. You know, I imagine everyone here has at one point in time searched over GitHub for like Amazon tokens and stuff just to just to see if it's there, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Pretty, and it's it's pretty surprising because you you definitely find a lot of that stuff um, existing in projects and stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's actually one point in time I, I went through and and was searching for similar stuff and um, alerting people to it. Um, and it was amazing, like, even even after alerting people to it, just, like, I get either a non-response or, you know, like, somebody would say, oh, okay, yeah, thanks for telling me, and then, you know, it'd be months before they even actually updated their tokens. So, like, it's it's uh, it's something not taken seriously um, that really should be, so. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I imagine like in the open source community, people probably don't care about it as much. Um, but if you're working on something important, you might might want to <laughs> make sure not to do that. <laughs> right. Well, uh, yeah, the common source of leaks were SSH keys, NPMRC files, config JSONs, Git configs, and uh, all sorts of stuff. So <clears throat> we'll have a link to this whole article, and you can learn more about it and how to protect your credentials. The Let's Encrypt enters public beta news. Every everyone's happy about this, right? This is like yeah, totally. Yes, like finally something not crappy for SSH. Yeah, SSL stuff. I mean, it's pretty cool. Right. So if you're looking to get some SSL certificates and you don't want to pay money, Let's Encrypt is your friend. Um, just uh, you can just Google for Let's Encrypt and find the uh, the main website to read more about it. Um, there's already, I think, over a dozen clients in different languages with different uh, features and different sizes of the client. If you have a basic Nginx or Apache server, uh, you can get uh, less encrypt certificate in probably less than uh, less than uh, five minutes if you know what you're doing. Uh, has, you know has anybody, has any, have any of you guys actually gone through and and tried this yeah. out? Yeah, so I have uh, one of the Apache servers. I just typed, uh, just installed it from GitHub and ran the command. Uh, it, it gave a nice, uh, it gave a nice uh, UI in the in the terminal. It asked me if I wanted to, uh, uh, I think it was if I wanted to redirect all traffic to HTTPS or keep both HTTP and HTTPS. And there's those those were the only two options. Um, once I did that, it uh, did everything. Uh, from there, it gave me a certificate. Now, does, to... Is there like a self-signing an option, or do they sign the certs, or like how does that? They, they sign. They're, they're a signing authority. So they become okay. Yeah. Cool. They're, they're in all the major browsers. So. Very cool. Uh, several things to still uh, sort of uh, just to know about is uh, wildcard domains. I don't think they're supported yet. So like star dot some domain dot com. I don't think that would work out yet. Right, uh, but why would you even need that? I mean, it's free, so you can like just you know keep spamming them for each subdomain just, or something. Just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just do a dictionary. I mean, like, how many subdomains do you have that you need to secure? You know. Yeah. And uh, the second thing is these certificates are valid for 90 days, so you gotta either set up a cron uh, job to rerun Let's Encrypt every 90 days or so. Uh, or wait for the renewal tool uh, that they're still working on. Um, I'm not sure what the status of that is, uh, but the renewal tool should be able to either like automatically set up a cron job for you or uh, 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 do some magic there on the server. Awesome. Cool. And that's all the projects and news we've got. Um, to conclude the podcast, Kyle, where can developers and listeners find you on the Internet? Um, you go to twitter.com and then you click in the search box and you type in Kyle and you keep scrolling the page until you find my name um, and you click that and you click follow. Perfect. Okay. Well, if you don't want to do that, we'll have Kyle's handle in the show notes so you can easily track him down. Mike, uh, where can people find you? Um, so you can check out my sweet blog at crappytld.club. Um That'll that'll redirect to the right place. Um, shout out to to Gandhi for the free dot club domain. Uh, not a sponsor, but maybe they want to be. I can't, I can't believe you registered that, Mike. Oops. 
Uh, I probably won't renew it, so you better hit that URL quick. Um, otherwise, uh, Mike Taylor on Twitter, M-I-K-E-T-A-Y-L-R, and elsewhere. Excellent. And Ricky, any? how can people find you, and, and do you have any, any cool projects to talk about? Uh, I'm just uh, Ricky Codes on Twitter. I don't really have any cool projects to talk about. <laughs> you can also... Also, Ricky Codes on GitHub. Um, there might be some projects on there that somebody thinks is cool. I don't know. Totally. Excellent. Cool. And I'm Vlad. You can uh, find me at vf.io. Find my GitHub and Twitter through there. And yes, thanks for listening to another episode of Open Source System Podcast. We'll be back in two weeks. <laughs>